Any of you love this time of year? How many of you like this is just like your favorite season and you just, you love, this is my favorite time of the year. I just love everything about it. This is this, the Christmas season is a season of, of hope, of, of peace, of joy, of love. And I love everything about the season. I love, I love the sounds, the, the music. I love the sights. Uh, I love, I love the movies. Has any of you watched White Christmas yet? I saw on Netflix, it is on Netflix, so I guarantee you this week I will sit down and watch White Christmas because that's just what you do during Christmas time. I love this season. I love, I love all the things you do. I love, I love getting the house all decorated, and I love getting the tree and decorating the tree with everything I love. I love drinking eggnog. Yeah, I, I'm down with the eggnog. I love, I love getting my family in the car and we drive around and look at all the, the Christmas lights. And, and I love spending time with our family. And I love doing all these things. I love all that Christmas is about. But the, what I'm realizing is the older I get, the more sometimes the magic of Christmas begins to wear off on me. I mean, Christmas as a kid, you think about the anticipation and the excitement of the Christmas season. I think the reality is, as you get older, some of that magic wears off. Because I think about this past week. I think about the, the horrible thing that happened in San Bernardino this past week. I think about, I think about the terrorist attack in, in Paris last month. And I think about these things, and the eggnog just doesn't taste as good when I think about those things. I think about uh, this past week, I had the chance to go over Thanksgiving. My niece just got back from a missions trip to Guatemala. And they were serving uh, an orphanage and, and, and a feeding center in Guatemala. And, and she's telling these stories about these kids and these families that she met and the things that she did in this third world country. And, you know, the lights just didn't seem as so bright when you're hearing these stories of everything she saw in Guatemala. And then I think about my kids and I think about the Christmas lists. You know, we've got pretty good kids. I don't think they're super materialistic, but... I realize every one of those presents under the tree is going to show up on my bank statement. And I've got to figure out how those are going to be paid for and how everything's going to be taken care of. Then I think about my family. I think about my dad. My dad died when I was nine years old. And I remember as I think back growing up, I miss dad at Christmas time. But the older I get, the more I wish I had a Christmas with him. That I could experience it as an adult, as a man to man. I think about my mom, who she is now on her third full week of being at Virginia Mason Hospital. And, and the excitement of Christmas doesn't seem so exciting because of all the things that are going around in our world. I mean, Christmas is supposed to be the season of, of peace, of joy, of hope, of love, and the reality is there's times when the presents and the Christmas parties and the cookies and the Christmas lights, the busyness of the season, it's like they, they, they promise those things. They promise hope and joy and peace and love. But those things that we typically associate with Christmas can't fix what's gone wrong in my world. So if we... Step aside for a second. Just step back. We, we separate ourselves and we strip back the 
typical sounds, the typical sights, the smells, the eggnog of Christmas, if we set those things aside and come back to the very first mention of Christmas, we learn that Christmas is really all about a promise, a promise of a Savior. Christmas is the birth of of a promise that is coming true. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now, you're probably thinking, if this is a Christmas message, this is a Christmas series, why are we in Genesis? Genesis is not the kind of passage you'd normally turn to during Christmas time. Normally you think of Matthew chapter 2 or, or Luke chapter 2. Those are the Christmas stories. That's what we normally would turn to. But this year, we are going to look at a series that we called Vintage Christmas. And we're going to look at the story of Christmas as told from the Old Testament. And we're going to see how the Old Testament portrays and predicts the events surrounding the Christmas story of Jesus and his birth. And so today, in what I'm going to call, uh, entitle this message, The Promise of Christmas, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to focus primarily on Genesis 3 verse 15. And we're going to see not the first Christmas, like we, like we read in Luke chapter 2. Instead, we're going to see the first message about Christmas. I want to be clear as we approach this passage. The Apostle Paul, at the end of the book of Romans, in chapter 6, verse 20, he takes the language that we'll read in Genesis three fifteen, and he applies that same language to the victory that Jesus has over Satan. So I want to be very clear this morning that the promise of Christmas isn't going to be mischaracterized by the Christmas movies, by Bing Crosby and White Christmas, and by the tinsel and the trees. The promise of Christmas is all about Jesus. And so as we get ready to read this passage, I want you just to, as we read through, look at the four different parts of this story. Genesis Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is the first part of the story. We're going to read about the temptation. The original temptation of Satan in the form of a servant, ser- serpent as he tempts Eve. And you might not see it in these few verses, but I want you to understand that while the serpent is there tempting Eve, Adam is sitting right beside her. He's sitting there silent. He's sitting there absent-minded completely oblivious to what's going on. He's not engaging. He's not protecting his wife. He's not defending the honor of God. So first, the first part of that text is going to be the temptation. The second part, verses 6 and 7, you're going to see the fall of Adam and Eve. The third part we're going to see, third part you're going to see, verses 8 through 13, is there's going to be a confrontation of God coming confronting Adam and Eve. And then the fourth part, we're going to see the judgment that God delivers. God's going to come and he's going to speak first to the serpent. And then he's going to speak to Eve. And finally, he's going to speak to Adam. Because Adam was accountable as head of his home and as well as all creation. So we're going to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. I encourage you, you can follow along in your own Bible. Or we have it up on the words, up on the screen as well. Genesis 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles, and it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread to return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. And that is God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? God, I just ask for your presence with us now. God, as we think about Christmas, as we think about what Christmas is supposed to mean, what it's supposed to represent, of of the feelings we should have during Christmas, God, pray that you would help us to see the promise of Christmas, the promise that you made so very long ago. That God, all those things that Christmas offers, that hope, the peace, the joy, the love, they're not found under the tree. They're not found in the lights. They're not found in the eggnog. God, they're found in the promise of Christmas. So God, I pray that you give us understanding today. And I pray, God, that you would give us that peace, that hope, that joy, and that love. God, we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So our primary verse that we're going to focus on today is verse 15 that says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You might not realize about this passage, but this passage is a Christmas passage. This, this verse is a, is a gospel verse. It is what is known by theologians as the proto-evangelum, which means the first gospel. 
4,000 years before Christmas ever happened, in Luke chapter 2, this verse summarizes the promise of Christmas. It summarizes what the gospel is all about. It's the promise of Christmas that gives to us peace and hope and joy and love. So there's, there's four things, four things we're going to find about the, the promise of Christmas out of this one little verse right here. First thing, first thing we'll learn about the promise of Christmas. And it might seem almost shocking. It might seem surprising to you. But the promise of Christmas begins with a curse. Here's what I mean. I mean, if you are not familiar with this, if you're not familiar with the story of Adam and Eve, let me just give you the summary. Adam and Eve, they were the crowning glory of all of God's creation. They were his special creation. God made man and woman in his image, in his likeness. He made them special above everything else in all of creation. Adam and Eve, they had everything they needed in that garden. Everything they needed to survive, including the very presence of God that they had access to all the time. Everything was perfect. What more could they want? Satan, he had a suggestion though. Satan, in the form of a serpent, he asks Eve this. He says, why would you just be satisfied with being made in the image of God? Why not be a God yourself? Don't be satisfied with just being made in God's image, Eve. You could be a God yourself. I mean, after all, Eve, God hasn't told you everything and he hasn't given you everything. Because remember, there's that tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat. That tree that God told you not to eat of. Eve, if you eat from it, you will be like God. Soon enough, Eve gives in. Takes a bite of the fruit, hands it off to Adam, who's sitting silently next to her. He takes a bite of the fruit. And this is where we find the root problem in all of humanity. Sin has now entered the world through Adam and Eve. And immediately, that sin destroyed the paradise that God created. And immediately, Adam and Eve, they began to experience the consequences of sin. First in verse 7, verse 11 They realized that they were naked and they experienced shame for the first time. And they experienced a guilty conscience for the first time. In in verse 10, this is the first time they're going to experience fear. They were afraid of God and they hid from him when he came looking for them. Verses 23, 24, it's going to talk about uh, that they're going to be separated from God's presence because of this sin issue. Verse 17 and 18 says that the ground will be cursed because of the sin. And ultimately, this sin is going to result in physical death over Adam and Eve and over all of us. You see, sin has absolute dire consequences. We can't deny that fact. Romans 6.23, the Apostle Paul writes and says the wages of sin is death. God is a just God. And a just God will not allow sin to go unpunished. But when you read the story, you notice that when God confronts Adam and Eve about their sin, he comes to them and he asks them these questions. He starts asking these questions uh, to them. And he's not asking these questions because he needs this information. 
It's not like God's coming up to Adam and Eve. What did you do? I don't know what you did. No, God comes to them and asks these questions, kind of like a parent would. A parent, when you catch your kids doing something red-handed, like you catch them doing exactly what you told them not to do. And parents, you come to them and you ask these questions, hoping that they will respond with a spirit of repentance of confession. You want to see that that cultivated in them. So you ask them these questions, trying to get them to to volunteer the information, to confess it, to repent of it. This is what God is doing with Adam and Eve. But notice in verse 14, when God starts talking to the serpent, he asks no questions at all. Instead, he's going to deliver a curse. Verse 14, it says, The Lord... God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your lives. You see, the language of these verses, the consequences of Adam and Eve for their sin, everything that God says to the serpent and to Adam and Eve is in the form of judgment. God is handing handing down judgment on their sin, judgment on their rebellion, judgment on their wickedness, judgment on their evil. And there are consequences for Adam and Eve's sin. But notice, never once do we see God say to Eve, Eve, cursed are you because you sin. We don't see God tell Adam, cursed are you, Adam, because of your sin. He does say to Adam, cursed is a ground because of you. And all of us who have ever had to mow our yard and rake our leaves, we feel that curse of the ground because of Adam's sin. But God never says to Adam or Eve, cursed are you because of your sin. But to the serpent, that's exactly what he says. Cursed are you. And yet, in that curse, immediately following verse 14, God offers us hope through verse 15. He offers Adam and Eve and every one of their offspring a a, a blessing, a, a promise of hope. See, this is the kind of God that we worship. God is a God who loves to bring blessing out of a curse. He loves to go from, from curses to blessings. Some of you, as you start thinking through the Christmas season right now, you're just not feeling the hope, the peace, the joy, the love of Christmas. This is a hard season for some of you. You've felt the weight of the curse all around you. You've got family problems. You've got financial issues. There's guilt. There's shame. You begin to feel some of those things maybe that Adam and Eve felt in their sin. And you say, I just don't feel the joy of Christmas. I'm having a hard time getting in the Christmas spirit. Listen, I don't know what's going on in your life. And I don't know what your future holds. But I do know that God loves to bring blessings out of curses. I know that if we look to the promise of Christmas, the person of Jesus Christ, that God often turns our deepest problems, our deepest disappointments into triumphant victories. That is how God operates. He takes what we believe is broken and he transforms it into something beautiful. And that's what he does here. He's going to take this curse 
and turn it into a blessing. And he's going to take this curse and turn it into a promise of hope through Jesus Christ. Just look at the promise of Christmas. Because God curses that serpent. But in that curse, there's a promise of hope and blessing and salvation for everyone who believes. So the first thing about the promise of Christmas is it begins with a curse. The second thing we're going to learn about the promise of Christmas is that it includes a war that God initiates on our behalf. Here's what it says. It says in verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. See, God said from the very beginning, in the very beginning, he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put enmity between Satan and the woman, between Satan's offspring and the woman's offspring. Now, we look at this word enmity and we say, I, I don't really know what that word means. It's not a word that we use in our generation, in our day and age. And, and the original language of this word speaks towards a personal hostility, a, a hatred that seeks to devour one another. See, this is great. What I love about this is I love that after Adam and Eve sinned, God never said to them, God didn't say, Adam, Adam, Eve, listen, guys. Listen, guys, you guys, you guys, you, you rebelled against me. You've sinned. And you've done what I told you not to do. So now, because you've done this, God doesn't say, here's a list of 15 things that you have to do to get back into my good graces. He doesn't say, Adam and Eve, here's the 12 things that you have to do to conquer Satan in your life. No, what God says, he says, I will put enmity, hatred. I will start a war for you. I am going to war. I am starting this war on this very day. Instead of telling Adam and Eve, this is what you need to do to make things right. God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a war for you. I am going to battle. And I want you in your Bible, you see those words, I will put enmity. I want you to circle those words because I want you to see God is the one who's initiating this battle on our behalf. He's not saying you guys get this taken care of on your own. He's saying you've sinned. And now I'm going to step in and I'm going to do something on your behalf. I'm putting enmity between the serpent and the woman. I'm officially declaring war on that serpent in order to drive a wedge between the woman and the serpent. In order to drive a wedge between the, uh, the, the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. So God initiates a war on our behalf. Third thing. But the promise of Christmas. Third thing is that the promise of Christmas comes from the seed of the woman. This is what he says. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now this he is specifically referring back to her offspring specifically to a very specific seed in her offspring. He's saying this specific seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall, he shall defeat you. See, this is why Christmas is so significant because that seed that God just promised, that offspring that God promised that will bruise the head of Satan and defeat Satan once and for all, 
That is found in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has come down into the flesh to settle this war against Satan once and for all. And I want you to kind of catch what's going on here. I want you to see this because Satan, Satan had this idea. He had this idea. He said, I'm going to use the woman. I'm going to use this woman and I'm going to, I'm going to use her as a tool and I'm going to abuse her and I'm going to misuse her. And I'm going to use her as my sidekick to bring down all of humanity from its very beginning. He's going to use Eve to bring sin into the world, to bring sin to Adam and for Adam to blow it for all of mankind. And this is what God says. God says, that's your plan. Satan, that's your plan. You're going to bring sin into humanity through this woman. And God says, well, I'm going to turn it around on you. I'm going to use this woman to bring the savior of the world who will crush your head. You, Satan, you sought to deceive the woman, and now I'm going to use this same woman and her seed to crush you completely. What I love about this is God just laid out his entire battle plan. He laid out his entire battle plan to Satan and said, Satan, this is exactly what I'm going to do. I think about, uh, how many of you are Seahawks fans? A few of you? If you're not, I'm praying for you. Okay, I'll be praying for you uh, every day. Super Bowl this last year, okay? We think about the Super Bowl, the Seahawks and the Super Bowl. Uh, they've got 26 seconds left. They're on the one-yard line. They're on the one-yard line. All they have to do is give the ball to Marshawn Lynch. He'll run into the end zone. Seahawks win the Super Bowl. Back-to-back. Woo-hoo! We're having a party. But remember what happened? Yeah. Yeah. I still have nightmares about it. They call a pass play. Russell Wilson sets back the throw to Ricardo Lockett. And the Patriots pick it off. And, 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 and they win the game. And, and, and the Seahawks are crying. And, and we're all still crying. But what was so funny is after that happened, you know what everybody talked about for seven months? They talked about what the Seahawks should have done. Seahawks, you should have run it. Seahawks, you should have run it. That's what they heard for seven months straight. Every commentator, every uh, armchair quarterback, everybody said, Seahawks, you should have just given it to Lynch and let him run it in. So we fast forward to week one of the NFL season this year, September 13th. Okay, anybody remember that game? Seahawks versus the Rams. It's in overtime and the Rams are up by three points. And, and, and the Seahawks are driving down. They're going to drive down and try and get a field goal or, or a touchdown to win the game. And here's, here's, the situation. here's the situation. It's fourth and one. Fourth down. And they've got one yard to go. All right? Does anybody know what play they're going to choose? Can anybody guess what play they chose? After hearing for seven months, you had one yard. You give it to Marshawn Lynch and he runs it in. I mean, I mean it was choreographed. Everybody knew what play the Seahawks were going to choose. They were going to choose the play they should have chose seven months ago. And that play worked out where Marshawn Lynch gets the, gets the ball, got tackled in the backfield for a two-yard loss. The Seahawks lost the game. See, the Rams, they knew exactly what play the Seahawks were going to do because the Seahawks had been thinking about it for seven months straight. This is the play we're going to do. This is what God has done. He's saying, Satan, here's my battle plan. 
This is exactly what I'm going to do, Satan. You sought to rob me of glory. And you tried to do eternal damage to this special creation that I made through this woman. You tried to deceive this woman. So Satan, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use this woman to bring the Savior of the world who will crush your head. I mean, God couldn't have played this out any better. He turns Satan's strategy back against him, right around. So the promise of Christmas comes from the seed of the woman. This is why we talk about the birth of Christ being so significant. The virgin birth of Christ is because this is the fulfillment of that promise. And here's the last thing. This passage, verse Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it makes clear that the promise of Christmas is a promise of both death and victory. The promise of Christmas is a promise of death as well as victory. Look at the end of verse 15. It says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise your, his heel. I mean, this is a picture of man versus serpent, right? I mean, how, how, does, how does a man kill a snake? How does he kill a serpent? He might take a shovel and pin it down and take a big rock and throw it on its head. I mean, that's how you kill a snake, right? Maybe you use your foot. I don't know what you do, but you smash its head. And how does a serpent kill the man? He strikes his heel. I mean, that's what he's going to do. Now, I want you to think about this for a second, though, because I think it's interesting that, that God here writes that, that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Because when I think about God, I picture God just saying, he shall bruise your head and that's it, right? I mean, God gives a victory, right? I mean, we kind of picture that's where it's going to end. He shall bruise your head. And of course, God does get the victory. But it's interesting that, that God says, the one who comes into this world that's born of the woman, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He says, yeah, he's going to win, but you will get a strike in. You will bruise his heel. You will kill him. But in that killing of him, he will raise many to life. You see, the promise of Christmas, the promise of our salvation is a promise, promise of both death and victory. Because this is a very costly victory. The only way that the sin that Adam and Eve had allowed into our world, the only way that could be reversed is for this very seed of the woman who is promised to bear the destruction that they deserve has to become the, the curse for them. The only way for that sin to be reversed is for that promised seed, that, that promise of Christmas to bear the curse that Adam and Eve deserve, to bear the curse that you and I deserve. And this is a curse of, of death and damnation. From the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, this is what God's saying. He's saying, I'm going to send my son into the world. And he is going to gain victory and is going to, to gain that victory by bearing a curse. By bearing God's curse. And this is the promise of Christmas. Just listen to the promise of Christmas, of what he has to say. Because God, this is why the promise of Christmas is so significant. 
And this is why it so, should be so full of hope and joy and love and peace for you and I. It's because God never says, I curse you. He never looks at Adam and Eve and says, I curse you. He never looks at you and I and any of us in here, no matter how bad we are, no matter what we've done. He never looks at us and says, I curse you. Rather, God's son, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. He bears the curse of his father on the cross in the place that Adam and Eve deserve. He bears the curse on the cross that you and I and every one of us deserve. See, that promise of Christmas, the promise that gives us hope and peace and joy and love, it comes from the simple promise from God where God says, I'm going to war for you. I'm going to battle for you. I'm sending my son for you. And I'm going to visit the curse that you deserve for your rebelling against me, for your preferring something else over me. I'm going to visit that curse on my son in your place. So that as you believe on him, you will receive the blessings that he alone deserves. And he will take the curse that you deserve. This is the promise of Christmas. This is where the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love comes from. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful for the promise of Christmas. God, we realize realize that Christmas itself can't provide these things for us. Even though Christmas can be fun and, and glittery and, and, and it can, can, can make us feel, God, feel good, God, we know that that's temporal. We know that that can be taken away in a moment, in an instant. God, it's my desire for every one of us in here today, that we would experience the wonder of Christmas, that we, we, we would experience the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love. God, we know that those things are not found in the decorations. They're not found in the music. They're not found in the gifts under the tree. God, the joy of Christmas is only found in the promise of Christmas, the promise of Jesus the promise of victory over the curse. And God, as we are, are heading into this Christmas season, God, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to keep the promise of Christmas in mind. That God, we would realize that we have the ability to have that hope and joy and peace and love, not because of Christmas lights and not because of gifts, but God, because of the promise of Christmas. That, God, you sent your son, Jesus, into this world to live the life that we couldn't live. To die the death that we deserve. To bear the curse that we deserve so that we could experience the blessings that he alone deserves. God, you are such a good God who seeks to take our curse and turn it into a blessing. And God, you would take every one of us and you would take our lives and God, you would take what Satan has meant for evil and God, you would turn it into good. And you would turn it into a blessing. And God, it's my prayer for every one of us in here this Christmas time 
that God, we will remember where that joy comes from. It comes from the promise of our Savior who's come to do battle for us. And that Christmas, the joy, the peace, the hope, it comes from that baby in a manger who's come to come to go to battle for us, to give us that victory over Satan once and for all. God, I pray if there are any of those in here today who have not put their faith in you as their Savior, who has not believed in what you've done for them on the cross, I pray that today they would say, God, I'm yours. God, I'm surrendered. God, I want to experience that hope, that peace, that joy, that love. So God, today, today I'm going to surrender myself. I'm going to believe in Jesus and what he's done for me on the cross. And I'm going to live my life for him because of what he's done. And that God, today they would experience your joy, your peace, your hope, and your love. God, I pray for those where Christmas becomes a hard season for them. Maybe there's family issues. Maybe there's people who are no longer with them. Maybe there's financial issues. Maybe there's any number of issues. God, I pray that you would wrap your arms around them. And that God, in spite of those things, that they would take that hope and joy from the promise of Christmas. Not through what this Christmas has to offer in a worldly standpoint. But God, we would find that joy through the promise of Christmas through Jesus Christ. God, as we have the opportunity to respond to your word today, God, I pray that you would help us to respond. God, I know there there are some in here today that they just need to take a minute and just sit down during these psalms and just cry out to you and pray and say, God, God, my heart is heavy. God, I'm hurting God, I have this weight on me now. God, would you meet me here? God, would you help me to experience that love that's found through the promise of Christmas? Help me to feel that today. Help me to find that hope. Help me to find that joy and that peace. God, I pray for others in here today that they just need to stand up and praise you for who you are. And they need to to, to experience that joy of of singing our praise to you because of how good you are. Because God, you didn't leave us in that curse. Instead, you came and took that curse from us and put it on Jesus so that we could be forgiven, so that we could experience your joy. So God, I pray that you help us to worship and praise you for who you are, to respond to that promise. God, we love you. And praise you, and we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.